we celebrate that Jesus came and not only gave his life for us, but he offers relationship to all of us. If we would just take it, he's asking us, he's offering us relationship with him. And then not only that, three days later, he rose from the dead to validate everything he said about himself, everything he said about us, so that we could know for sure that we have a savior. How many were here for, for Easter? We had, a, we had a great Sunday last Sunday. Just wanted to report back a little bit. Over 4,000 people were in attendance, more than we've ever had for Easter. So we're finally over that COVID stuff, and, and now we're back uh, cruising along. We had over 200 people respond, and uh, that's the most responses we've ever had as far as wanting to follow Christ with their life. So it's just a great, great day. So thank you for making that happen. Thank you for being part of it. Uh, God's doing amazing things here at Grace, and, and we rejoice because of that. We're starting a new series. We always try to figure out what, what would be great to start with after Easter, something that maybe uh, when people are going through things, they might come back. And so we came up with this series, Ever Wonder Why?, and that, that asks questions, and we've done question series before. Actually, this time, I was really trying to focus on that the way people go through stuff, it's I tend to answer things more cognitively, but I'm realizing a lot of people, and especially on this topic, it's really more of a, a heart issue. And so we're starting maybe with one of the toughest questions for Christianity or just for us in life, whether we're a Christian or not, and... Uh, is just the whole problem of suffering. But specifically, if you believe in God, this question, why did God let it happen? Or more personally, God, why did you let it happen? And we ask this question when we, especially if we're following God, when we go through suffering and pain. And, and just getting on this subject, you know, I, I just want to point out to you that there are a lot of people here at Grace and our church family, even just in the last several weeks, that have gone through immense pain and suffering, more than I've ever experienced in my life by a long shot. And when that happens, I mean, either severe health struggles that, that either, you know, may have taken somebody's life or, you know, that they're still struggling through, or grief and loss or betrayal or whatever, or it, maybe even worse than loss is, is the loss of a child. You know, these are gut-wrenching, uh, painful, painful issues that we wrestle with as human being. And, and it brings up this soul-searching question. I mean, this a level of pain can bring out where our soul is crying out, really seeking understanding. God, if, you're, if you love me and you control everything, how could this have happened? God, if you're all-loving and you're all-powerful, why did you let this happen? Why did you let this happen to me? And of course, people go on from that and they'll say, well, if, if God could 
stop evil. If God was powerful enough to stop evil and he doesn't, well, then he's not good. Or if he's good and he wants to stop evil, but he can't, then he's not all-powerful. And so some people would take that another step forward and say, well, then therefore the good and all-powerful God of the Bible can't exist because we see this evil and suffering in the world. And so we want to deal with this, this question, if God is good and powerful, why did God let it happen? And basically, I want to deal with that in, in, with three points. One is why that's a good question. Two is why answers don't work. And three is why a person does work. I say, first of all, why that's a good question. I base that on Job. Very interesting. Job is a book in the Old Testament. We actually did a whole series through Job last year, I think. And uh, it's, back then I was telling you, it's considered by most scholars the oldest book in the Bible. I mean, Moses wrote the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses wrote those, and he wrote those at the time of the Exodus. But Job, we believe, was in existence long before that. And so Job, the oldest book in the Bible, is all about a man who was really good and honored God and went through amazing suffering in his life. At the beginning of Job, it opens up this way in Job 1.8. It says, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. And basically, we see this good man who all these terrible things, just a succession quickly in just a day, his life just falls apart in every area. It's, it's horrible. And then the rest of the book is all about he and his friends wrestling through how or why this could have happened. But here's what we get, if I could just boil it down to you. Number one, we get that evil and suffering. The answer to that is not simple arithmetic. It's not do evil, then you suffer. It's not like that because even when people, people can suffer and that has nothing to do with them doing anything wrong. So that's the first thing we get. We also get that even though God has some things to say in the book and does toward the end of the book of Job, God never answers the question directly to Job who suffered so much. And so we, we get that. He never directly answers the question, why? Doesn't mean there's no answers. Just to Job, he didn't do that, who, who suffered that. As a matter of fact, centuries after Job, we get to a place in the New Testament where Jesus is walking along with his disciples and they see a man that's been blind from birth. And here's how that goes in John 9, beginning in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So even the disciples are asking this question, why? It could have been that Jesus just said, didn't you read Job? I mean, they had Job. Didn't you read Job? You know, that would have given you some insight. But Jesus is answering this question saying, no, it's not about arithmetic. 
And, and by the way, some suffering we do understand. I mean, we call that cause and effect suffering. You know, if you, somebody smokes cigarettes for 50 years and then they get cancer, you know, we're kind of like, yeah, that's bad, but we, we sort of understand it. Or even good things like we go to the gym and, you know, we work out. No pain, no gain. We've all heard that, right? You know, that, that's what I tell people. I can pretty much do what I did 20 years ago at the gym. It just hurts a lot more. It really hurts. Like, I never remember it hurting. So, and theoretically, there's going to be gain. I don't know that there's any gain, but maybe it keeps you from losing. I don't know. Something is good has got to come out for that. So, so we, we get that. Or if a guy shows up late four days in a row at work and he gets let go, cause and effect, Right. You know, we do understand some suffering. If you're a Browns fan, you know, we, we, under, we do understand some suffering we understand, all right? But then there's some suffering that we don't understand. And actually, the reason we don't understand it, it's Christianity being born into the world is the reason that we don't understand it. Because before Christianity, people believed in gods like the Greeks, believed in a bunch of gods, but the gods weren't on their side. They were struggling with the gods. They, they would try to appease the gods or God would do something bad to them because God didn't like them and all this stuff was happening. But then these people were introduced to the creator God, the one true God. And they were taught, hey, there is one true God. These other gods aren't real. And the one true God is all powerful. He created you and everything in the world. And this God loves you. Then the question came up, okay, well, I get that. And then they go on with their life and all of a sudden bad things happen and they're going, whoa, time out. You said God is all powerful and you said God loves us. So then how could this bad stuff happen? Because if God's powerful enough to keep it from happening and he loves me, he would want to keep it from happening. So what's going on there? And it's the whole thing. But it's because God is powerful and loving that we even have the question. Even back in the Old Testament, Psalm 62, 11 says, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and loving kindness is yours, O Lord. Power and love. So understanding that power and love belongs to God. We want answers. But the next thing I want to talk to you is why answers don't work. Doesn't mean there are no answers. I'm just saying they don't work. The issue of evil and suffering is a problem for everybody in the world. It's a problem for Christians. I mean, that's what we struggle with. That's the whole basis for the issue. But it's even a bigger problem for non-Christians, for people who don't believe in God. See, non-religious answers don't work. For example, C.S. Lewis, famous Christian, was an atheist, an adamant atheist. He argued for atheism. And talking later as a Christian, when he was talking about his atheism, here's what he said. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten this idea of just 
and unjust. A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. So as an atheist, he starts thinking, okay, I don't, there's all this cruelty in the world, all this injustice, but then he started saying, well, how, where, where am I getting the concept of just and unjust? And that's actually an evidence for God. Or you have other atheistic writers in more modern day, like Richard Dawkins, who he, he'll point out, um, he'll admit all the suffering that happens in the natural world. He's a naturalist. And so he'll point out, you know, every minute of every day, there are just millions of acts of cruelty that happened, that happened in the world. Even in the animal world, you know, animals eating other animals, other animals starving to death, animals being diseased and decay, you know, and the same with insects and everything else. I mean, it's all over the place. And he's like, yeah, you, what is all that? Uh, An example of that is praying mantises, maybe you've heard this, praying mantises, when they mate, the female bites the head off of the male and eats it. And you thought you had a rough marriage. You know, but nobody cries out and says, that's an outrageous injustice. You know, nobody's upset about that. Why? Well, because they're praying mantises. That's sort of what they do. That's not unjust to us. That's just, that's just the way it is. Well, if that's true, then what about rape? betrayal, murder, human suffering. Well, if we all got here by a natural process of the strong devouring the weak, if, if, if we're standing around then and saying there is no God, you've actually given up the logical position in order to be outraged by evil. If there's no God, there's no evil. If there's no God, then who says that something's wrong? It's just our opinion. And other people might have other opinions, right? And and then what are you going by? A majority? That doesn't always make it right. Look at Nazi Germany. I mean, what are you going by? You see, that's a problem. The person who sees evil and thinks, oh, there must not be a God, logically they have it backwards, Because seeing evil actually shows that we have the ability to recognize injustice, suffering, and evil. And the fact that we can recognize that, just that fact alone, points us to God. So, and by the way, side note, which I probably shouldn't even include, but I didn't go long last time, so I will. So, side note is this. If we can look around and see injustice and evil... And somehow we have this longing in our soul that there would not be just injustice and evil. Where does that come from? Does it make any sense, in an evolutionary way of speaking, that we long for something that does not exist anywhere? Even that points us to God. So without God, there's still no answer to suffering and evil. And if an atheist says, pain and evil has caused me to reject the notion of God, and granted, maybe, you, maybe that's you, and you've seen some very, very bad stuff, but you still haven't dealt with the issue 
of pain and suffering. Non-religious answers don't work. They don't explain it. And even biblical answers, biblical answers can help, but they don't really stop our pain. There are logical, from a biblical framework, there are logical answers to the question of evil and suffering. And some of these I've mentioned before. You know, one goes like this. And like I say, I feel like I have a little time, so I don't want to bore you out of your mind. But one goes like this. We can look around, and because there's injustice and suffering and pain, we could say, this is not the best of all possible worlds. I mean, logically, we could think that. But actually, it's the best of all possible worlds that we have to go through in order to get to the best of all possible worlds, which is coming soon. Okay, and let me explain why that is. This is the best of all possible worlds or the best of all possible ways to get to the best of all possible worlds. And what am I basing that on? Because what we think is good is vir- we call virtue. But there can be no virtue if there's no suffering. Example, uh, we can't be courageous if we can't die. There's a burning building and a child is yelling on the second store window and I run in to go get, and everybody's like, yeah, wow, courage. Well, if I can't get hurt by doing that, then that's not courage, right? By the way, if nobody can get hurt, I wouldn't even have to do that because a little kid in the second story window, he can't get hurt either, right? So the only way there's courage if, if there's risk and the p- possibility of suffering. Stick with me. This won't last long. So, you know, that's the only way. So, well, how can we have the best of all possible worlds? Where the best of all possible worlds is where we would have virtue, like courage, but there is no more evil and suffering. Well, how could we possibly have a world like that? By going through a world like this, where there is virtue, because there is suffering, and there is evil, and we can have courage, and we can have heroes, and we can have virtue, but then we go to another world where we retain the virtue, but there the evil and the suffering have been eliminated. And then you have the best of all possible, thank you very much, then you have the best of all possible worlds. Sorry, if I got it, so if you didn't get any of that, just scratch that out of your mind. But, or here's another logical way to look at it. If God got rid of all evil, Guess what? He's getting rid of us because we've all done evil. All right? Does that make sense? Or you could say, well, no, God wouldn't have to get rid of us. God would just create us in a way where we wouldn't do evil. But if God did that, then he would not be, he couldn't create us in the image of God. He would just create us in such a way, sort of like, robotic droids where we always did the right thing. We always did what God commanded. So God could have done that, but we would have no freedom. We, we would have no dignity. We would not have the free choice to actually want to have a relationship with our creator that would be impossible. So there are some logical answers to the question of suffering and evil but answers really don't work because knowing all that, it doesn't fix our suffering. I would never go to somebody in our church 
who has just lost a child and say, well, you know what's going on here? You see, this is not the best of all possible worlds. It's just the best of all possible worlds in order to get us to the best of all possible. Would I say that? I've never said that to them. Why? Because that answer doesn't help them. Answers don't work. They don't fix our suffering. But last, I want to talk to you about why a person does work. Why a person does work. And the reason, there's three reasons for that. One is because Jesus understands. When we face tragic loss and suffering, here's another thing about it. If you just scratch the surface. When our soul cries out in grief or pain, I don't, we cry out for answers I don't know that answers is exactly what we want. What we want is for that pain somehow to go away. We ask why, 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 but if somebody starts explaining why, I mean, that's what the friends of Job did. Well, here, you know, they started going all these different reasons why, why. Did that help Job? Not at all. So we have to be careful with that. Think about it. If it's 3 a.m. and then you hear somebody roll up into your driveway and you look and it's a police car and they knock on the door and then you go down and you answer it and then they deliver to you some terrible, tragic news, a lot of times that police officer will say, are you alone? Are you here alone? And if you are here alone at home, they'll say, is there somebody we can call or somebody you can call? Why? Because they understand that when you're suffering, it's better to be with somebody, right? And, and we, we get that. that. That makes sense. But being with somebody, it's not to provide answers. The police officer's not saying, hey, call somebody. They're going to explain all this to you. That's not happening. They're no smarter than we are, the person we're calling probably. We need somebody, but it's not to provide answers. We just need somebody to sit with us. Just somebody to be there. Even better, maybe somebody who's been through something like what we're going through. Not that they would give us a bunch of answers, no. Just that we would know they know how we feel. So, I haven't been through suffering like many people at Grace have suffered. So, I, when I lost my dad, when he died, and my dad believed in God, but he was not a follower of Jesus. And so, when I lost him, that was tragic to me. Well, you know, people reached out. You know, people called. I mean, that meant something to me. And I know other people were praying for me that didn't reach out. I mean, just knowing that people know and, you know, they, that they're kind of feeling that with you a little bit, it means a lot. It helps. I mean, sometimes in our world, people can experience so much pain, way more pain than I felt, but to where... They just start giving up on, on things, on, on life sometimes. 
Sometimes people are drowned so much in their pain that they take their own life. Sometimes believers do that. I mean, I know of a couple of believers in years past that have done that. You know, that is a lot of pain. And, and I think it's hard for us to, to connect with that because it's like, wow. Yeah, I've just not been there like that. But with Christianity, think about this. Christianity is the only religion in, in the world with an all-powerful God who suffered. God suffered too. And not just that, but God intentionally suffered. Jesus intentionally suffered on the cross. And I believe when Jesus did that, Jesus, who's part of the Trinity, God who exists eternally, one person, one, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. When he went to the cross, I believe he suffered more physical pain than any of us. But I also believe he suffered more emotional pain than any of us. God has suffered. Think about it. When, when, you, when something happens and you cry out, why? God, why? You know, I just mentioned this last Sunday. Jesus hung out on the cross, and he hung there saying what? Why? God, why hast thou forsaken me? When we experience an injustice, this isn't right. Somebody is abusing me or doing something wrong or that I'm suffering and it's just not right. Jesus, the most, the only perfect person to ever walk the planet, the only one with no sin, he suffered, he was tortured to death. Or even if to me the hardest thing happens in your life and you lose one of your children, God, the Father, allowed his son to be killed. And, and he did that for us. God has suffered both physical and emotional pain. And it's not just that Jesus endured pain for us. It's that he, he wanted to do it. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can't avoid suffering in this world, but God doesn't avoid it either. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. Here's the thing that we need to keep our eyes on. If the cross doesn't answer 
our questions about suffering. The cross does tell us what the answer isn't. The cross does tell us what it can't be. It can't be that God doesn't care. That can't be the answer. And it cannot be that God doesn't love you. That can't be it. We at least know that. God doesn't mail in answers to us. He sends a person. He sends us Jesus. And we, God's followers have always known that, even in the Old Testament. You know, we were talking about Jesus coming and coming into Jerusalem as Messiah. Here's what it said in Isaiah about this person that God was sending for us. Isaiah 53, beginning of verse 4. Surely, so this is a prophet hundreds of years before Jesus talking about the coming Messiah and what will happen to him and sort of did it in the past tense. Like this is how it's going to be. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And then just a couple of verses later, in verse 11, it says, and this is really interesting, key in on this, you don't hear this one much, it says this, as a result of the anguish of his soul, talking about Messiah, as the result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Well, did you catch that? As the result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. What can satisfy Jesus? Here Jesus exists eternally in relationship with the Father and the Spirit, one God, three persons in heaven, everything's right. What does Jesus need to be satisfied? There's only one thing, you and me. And so he made a way for that to happen, that he would go through that level of pain and suffering and look back on it and say, I'm satisfied with that because it's the door that all of us go through to be with him. It's only us. And so why does a person work? Well, first, because Jesus understands. But second... It's because God loves us, he made a promise. Why does a person work? Why does a person work? Answers don't work, a person works. First, because God understands. Second, because God loves us, he made a promise. Here's the promise. We talk about it a lot. It's Romans 8, 28. Great verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And, and what's this saying? 
Actually, we've talked about this a few years ago. I tried to get it distilled down so we'd remember it. Do you remember this, how, how this goes? Our bad will turn out for good. Our good can never be lost. The best is yet to come. That's what he's basically saying here. If we're a Christian, if we're following Jesus, whatever suffering, evil, bad things come into my life, God is powerful enough to turn that into good for us. Very hard to understand. And then, by the way, that good for us can never be lost. Once God gives us good, and the best is really that we would connect to him, follow him, want to be with him, and then all kinds of fruit, good fruit, come from our lives. But that good that we have in him can never be lost. And the best is yet to come. After this, it says, the next verse, I think, says, we will be glorified meaning that one day we will see God face to face. We will be with Jesus in heaven face to face, and there will be no more suffering. The best world is yet to come. So why does a person, answers don't work, but a person does? God understands Because he loves, he's given us promises. And then last, because he's powerful, he keeps those promises. God is powerful enough to keep his promises. It's weird because people think things like this. They'll say, you know, I can't, I cannot, I've been beat my soul is heavy I'm under the weight of all this suffering I've thought about this I cannot think of one single reason why God would let this happen in my life and we're arrogant when we say that because a lot of times when we say that we're and because I can't think of one there can't be one finite people saying because of I can't think of a reason then God can't have a reason that's just wrong if there's a God big enough for you to be angry at because God's he's allowed something to happen in your life then he's also big enough to have answers that you can't possibly understand does that make sense that's our God And by the way, if God did answer the question for Job or for anybody else, would we be able to comprehend the answer? I'm thinking no. From our perspective, it doesn't make sense. But God can make good come out of evil things in the life of a believer. And he has a deeper perspective that and we can trust him. He has a deeper perspective that we can trust. And here's the thing. You know, I've moved a lot in my life before I came here. Then I stopped moving, but... Do you know, you ever have a... And I know we all feel this way, and sometimes we say it, and sometimes we don't. You know, we have people in our life that we love and care for, family, friends, and we say, I... If we're not saying it, we're thinking... I will be with you no matter what. 
No matter what happens to you, I will be there for you. Do you know what I'm saying? That's how, when we all think this, I will be there for you. What I've noticed, and we mean it, and a lot of times we are, but what I've noticed is sometimes, you know, a few decades go by where we're living in another geographical area, and it doesn't happen the way we intended. I know one of my best friends from back in my early 20s, a few years ago, went through some really difficult issues in his life. And I, I was so far removed from him, he was a guy I would have done anything for. I didn't even know about it. And then by the time I found out about it, so much water had gone under the bridge that I didn't even know if I could even bring it up. I don't know if you've ever been in a position like this. So even though I intended, man, I will be there for you, but just the way life worked out, I wasn't. It's always bothered me. I wasn't there. I fail people. And I'm here to tell you, God doesn't have that problem. God will never let you down. God will always be there. God loves you and he makes promises to you and he is powerful enough that he will keep every promise and he will never leave you. He promises. And he will never forsake you. He promises. And he will keep those promises. The truth is, God delivers some of his people from suffering where they don't have to suffer anymore. Maybe he changes a circumstance or somebody you know, does better or whatever. God delivers some people from their suffering. And God delivers others of his people through their suffering. Always with us. Never leave us. No matter how dark it gets, always there. And, and here's what I'm telling you. When someday, I mean, suffering, we've either experienced it or we're going to experience, we're either in it or we were in it or we just got out of it or we're heading to it. And when deep waves of pain and anguish and suffering ever flow over my life, I want a person. Jesus is who I want sitting next to me. And maybe some of you, but Jesus is who we need the most, right? And he's not, he's not going anywhere. That's his promise, and he'll keep it. Let's stand together for prayer. Father God in heaven, 
Father, we know that there are friends, family, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ right here today that are going through stuff, and it's hard. Uh, Stuff maybe we've never been touched by. And God, we want them to know that we stand with them and by them and that we're here for them. But God, more than anything else, we want them to experience your peace, your love, your promises, your power. And God, we know when we experience your peace like that, that we can have joy, joy, even in the midst of our suffering. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the promises you've given us based on that love. And we thank you for your power and your ability to keep, keep loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.